Before we get started for this week's show, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. Today we have part two of the first interview with the John T. Rhodes following his appointment with the Swedish Cricket Federation, as well as Sweden's performance director Ben Harradine, and we wrap news around the emerging game. Stick around. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me around the Emerging Cricket table, Tim Cutler. How is it? How is it? Lovely guns. <laughs> I was wondering how long you'd take to get that in for those who aren't aware. Cricket Namibia and Castle Light have done a public service announcement in, the, in that great African nation. In a bar that we're very aware of as well, London. I'm, I'm well, Daniel. Um, nothing to complain about. Um, how are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, not taking any shortcuts. I'm taking pride and I'm following the rules. And another man who is with us here to talk all things emerging cricket, our fellow co-host, better known on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm very well. We're being responsible together, Tim. So uh, that's what's happening. We're not standing too close together. <sighs> Look, if we're actually in the same room, I, I would I would walk out, but I can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> the pods tend to go a lot better when we're in person and, and keeping to that 1.5 metre rule because uh, we, we're trying not to get in each other's interference with the microphone. So I think we've been pro- practicing social distancing for, for a long time now. And, and it's good <laughs> to see that everyone else is following suit. Another big show today. Uh, we've got part two of our chat with Ben Harradine and John T. Rhodes talking about Swedish cricket, among other things. But first, uh, to run through a, a couple of bits and pieces tonight, we'll start in UAE, where Ali Khan has been picked up by the Kolkata Knight Riders in this year's IPL after another successful campaign for the Trinbago Knight Riders. It was a pretty logical marriage there. Uh, he's gone from strength to strength, developed um, some swing bowling there, and a good Yorker at the death. We're not too sure how much game time he will get, Tim, but it's another feather in Ali Khan's cap and another sign that associate cricket is on the up. Absolutely great news for for Ali. Um, look, we know of his talent. We saw him live in Namibia take apart Hong Kong and various others, and I'd say... If it wasn't for him, um, you never know. The USA may not have got through as strongly as they did. It's too bad that he's not playing for USA anymore. But the advantage is he's been playing for the Knight Riders in the CPL and being well one of the few global franchises they are with full-time staff floating between competitions, you know, sharing information. It's great that they've recognised his talent to bring him across. I'd be a little bit concerned considering he did his hammy early CPL and how much cricket was back-to-back and how much cricket is going to be back-to-back here. So if he does get his chance, I just hope he's he's fully fit and we don't have a, a Boyd Rankin situation like in the Ashes when the when he finally did get his chance. Um, you know, he, he wasn't in, a, in great physical um, fitness. So, look, it's great news, but all it tells me is that uh, the chances of Ali Khan ever playing for the USA again as, as this goes on is uh, very slim. Yeah, that's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? Um, I think the other thing I noticed here, and this goes to the IPL a bit more broadly, is that um, it shows the value of getting yourself on that auction list in the first place because the the replacement rules um, in the IPL is that you you need to be on that list. And we've seen a few of the UAE guys who I think would have been really good additions to an IPL squad, you know, Ahmed Raza and co. 
not allowed to to join the team because they weren't on the original list and and so they're just <laughs> yeah, sitting on their heels at home when they could be getting to a squad and the you know the, the IPL teams now need to fly people around the world to get into which I think is a ridiculous situation but um, yeah so get on the list guys that's that's the key to this story it, it's probably why uh, so many players do nominate themselves just in case you know by some miracle um, they manage to to find themselves there but yeah looking at uh, Ali Khan's numbers at the CPL only played eight games because of that injury, took eight wickets um, with an economy of 7.43, another solid outing for him. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, we do see him get on the park, making a good contribution, making a solid contribution to the Knight Riders campaign like he did in the Caribbean. Now to Malaysia where there's been some T20 action going on there. Uh, my man Siders is coming through, scoring some bulk runs again, looking as comfortable as ever. Uh, but a sprinkling of women's talent as well with their tournament being cancelled due to COVID. Marzalisa especially with a couple of great shots shown on the film as well, Nick. Uh, plenty of eye-catching performances. Nick, what, are, what have you made of it? Yeah, I think this is really interesting, the the mixed teams. And I, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see how it goes because, yeah, as you said, we saw Mazalisa came in at the end of the innings there and, and slapped a few runs in the last, uh, I think it was the last over. Um, didn't get a, a great chance, but um, yeah, looked, looked comfortable at, at that level. And I think, you know, obviously this, this wouldn't necessarily work in a, um, a, t- a country where the men's game and the women's game are, are hugely disparate. But in lower ranked teams, you know, the, the gap in skill between a good women's player and a good men's player isn't necessarily as high. So I can see this working as a bit of a, a prototype for both in terms of, uh, you know, increasing the, the player pool for, for the, you know, in inverted commas, men's competition, but giving those top women somewhere to go, in, you know, instead of just dominating the women's tournament, if you can have that next step up and, and move into the men's game, Obviously, we see it a lot uh, with women playing, you know, grade cricket and, and that sort of thing in Australia, and and I think this um this will be good for development, and yeah, very yeah, very interesting, um, and and hopefully it works out for them. And weren't Masalisa's shots amazing? You know, those wrists coming through, cracking the ball behind point. It was. I know I say about everyone that hits a ball through point, but it was very Nazakat Khan like. <laughs> but these really whippy <laughs> wrists that it just shows that. Not not saying that she's not strong by any sense, but you know, looking about five foot tall and 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 not a lot of her, but just the the way she was able to time the ball just speaks volumes for for her ability. And yeah, bang on, Nick. But it does get me thinking of all the uh, Sir playing eleven now crew on Twitter who are playing uh, fantasy cricket. They must have been racking their brains trying to find all the um, the squad details when the when the women's players were included. <laughs> a, a brave move by Malaysia, I think, seeing that they've done deals with Willow and Fancode to have this event broadcast would have been very easy just to play it safe. But I, I look, they're ahead of the curve with a lot of local development efforts and we know that cricket's played in most of the states of that country. Um, and look, I think they're the first... I think the first country I've ever seen to do something like this and include women's play, players in this in a men's league of, at any level. So kudos to Mahinda and, and team there. And uh, I look forward to watching more and more. So it's a good time zone for us. Of course, we're all supposed to be working at that time and I wouldn't watch it and I'll wait and watch it afterwards. But uh, no, it's good to see. Yeah, interesting point there, Tim, about how um, Maz was you know, sort of manipulating the ball and, and using the timing and, and, and um, the pace of the ball, which would be higher than, you know, the, the average bowler in Malaysian women's cricket. So, I think you know, the, one of the things we talk about with women's cricket is that it's um, 
it's a different game and the way that they play it is different. So, I, I am looking forward to seeing how they approach it because they will have a slightly different um, way of going about things. And yeah, I'm very, yeah, very keen for this. Yeah, sort of the way that uh, Natakan Chantum played in that uh, last game against Pakistan, mm, mm. you think, geez, if the ball was coming faster here, it, the, the only difference would be that it would be going so much harder at, past and over the rope. You know, if they're able to get that much mm. timing with the ball going a bit slower, then it just crying out for that pace of the ball, perhaps. So you, you never know what this may, may start. And I know what you're saying about, you know, at, at certain levels, whether whether it would work. But um, this is a, a great little litmus test for the future of this, potentially in in emerging nations, as you said, and something in a Thailand or, or any of these other countries where we're seeing the women's team really raise their levels and getting ahead of the men's. It's a chance to, to grow both at the same time. So you never know. We might be seeing the start of a revolution here. Well, I'm just thinking it might even be a good way to um, you know, conserve resources or, or be a bit more effective with managing resources in terms of running multiple competitions and, and that sort of thing. I don't know. It's an interesting one. We'll keep a keen eye on it. We've, we've seen, as both of you guys have put, we've seen some of the, the top women's players across the associate world playing in various competitions throughout, but nothing as regimented as this. And as you said, Tim, it'll be a good litmus test to see how... Uh, other countries might be able to do it in the future. Uh, to move to Nepal now, and, well, some positive news finally from Lalit Bandari. It did look a little bit streaky there for a while, but he has had, uh, he's undergone a successful surgery uh, on his arm after being in a motorcycle accident. He was hit by a truck on a, on a trip with a relative uh, in his home nation of Nepal. Tim, and yeah, it looked a little bit dicey there for, for a few moments, but he's pulled through okay. Yeah, look... You just—it's always hard with these things when when posts are coming through, people writing in a language then they're not necessarily it's their first language, and you're hoping you're not misinterpreting. But it looks like with everything that Paris Kadka and, and the Players Association there has posted, but it's interesting to see that there's already articles popping up in the uh, Nepalese press about a lack of insurance for elite sports people there. I, I think from the from what I could read with the translation, there's there's two or three players in various sports that are, have been injured recently and they're all not insured and i saw some posts around the the, the truck driver that that hit bandari's bike paying for his his hospital fees and whatnot you just you know just really makes you wonder about what what's being put in place there to protect the players but just just in general so look yeah horrible news but hopefully um hopefully he's on the men soon especially by the time people are, are listening to this yeah, it's an interesting point there, Tim. We heard a couple of weeks ago about the um, their, uh, coronavirus response and, and um, insurance on that front. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting that they don't have it for just regular accidents and, and whatnot or, or potentially because Bandari is not uh, a contracted player. Or I, don't, I don't know, but yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those things, I guess, being a country where you know the US dollars from the ICC stretch a bit further typically the the Nepalese board can afford to do a bit more. So you would think that they might have something in place, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, one thing I, I forgot there is, you know, what happens a lot with, with Nepalese cricket, you know, there's a lot of crowdfunding and I think already the Players Association has got their QR codes up that people are already donating money to his uh, to his recovery. So that's that's great to see everybody dip in. You know, there's been some really great stories of, certain players in the, in the national team being funded by the, the fan groups on Facebook to go to training camps and whatnot when when Can was, was suspended. Not only 
um, trying to sort out issues on that front. They've had to sort of reintegrate themselves back into back into the the system and making sure that everything on the cricket side is fine and, and contracted players through their their central contracts is done okay. But yeah, now they're fighting another front where okay, all that is looking like it's been done, but now you have issues where players aren't properly insured from from a health standpoint as well. So yeah, it, it's a duty of care um, situation that Tim brings up all the time. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens in the future with, with stuff like this, but the positives in this is that Lalit looks to be pulling through um, and, and Paris Kadga there letting everyone know that Lalit's okay and uh, a lot of Nepali fans out there very, very pleased, breathing uh, sighs of relief collectively across the country. Some more news and first to Denmark where Skanderborg has claimed the elite division title on a dramatic final day coming from third to win the trophy winning by 244 runs over Herning to significantly boost their net run rate. KB slipped to Svanholm for Skanderborg to take top spot. In Papua New Guinea, a player of the match performance by Nasana Pakana has handed the Cassowaries the T20 smash title. Pakana, Sese Bao and the rest of the Cassowaries attack were able to defend 114 to defeat the Mudmen to claim the trophy there. And finally, the Central European Cup in the Czech Republic has been cancelled due to COVID. Austria, Belgium, Hungary, Luxembourg, Malta and the host were set to compete and the tournament had full T20 international status. For more news, log on to EmergingCricket.com. Coming up, part two with John T. Rhodes and Ben Harrity. Hi guys, I'm Chris Pierce, the head coach of the Czech Cricket Academy. Právě posloucháte Emerging Cricket Podcast. Johnty, you've played against associate members in the past. You know, you'd also played for, for Ireland in the late 90s. As someone from, from a Test member, it's sometimes difficult to, to look outside that bubble and look at, at the progress of associate cricket. You know, we've seen over the course of the last few years, you know, the, the World Cup contracting to 10 teams in the one-day international World Cup. The 2020 World Cup is a little bit more conducive for associate participation and achievement. What's your overall view of, of associate cricket in general and, and perhaps the potential? Because I know back in, in your playing days, Kenya were really strong. Unfortunately, we've seen the, the demise of, of Kenyan cricket over the last few years. Bangladesh reaching full member status in 2000 and now looking to say Ireland and Afghanistan achieving full member status and, and, and everything that goes with that. Where do you see the, the next growth in, in the sport and, and how can associate members you know build into that next level of the international game we know it's a little bit difficult but how, how can it be done do you think well i think you know if you think consider scotland you consider the netherlands as well i mean they've had pretty competitive sides over sort of a few years as well they sometimes fortunate in that and a full member team towards the uk might decide to spend or give one you know international match against say one of those countries so the guys like netherlands scotland and ireland especially have that opportunity to maybe get one international match um, but, you know, with regards to the, the rest of the associate member countries, there really is not a lot of work. In the U.S., there's, there's a lot of growth in the game. It's a very big market um, uh, in Canada as well. But it, it, it's almost, you know, I think my, my key is, is to try and get, because too often at associate sort of member level, there's such a gap from starting to play the game to playing for the national team. No, no matter, you know, if you're 35 in the world ranking or 45 in the world ranking, you're still, as a youngster, playing the game. You want to be able to, you know, give yourself goals to achieve to play for the national team. So, you know, and, and Ben and I have been talking about it a lot, and, and I like the way they're talking about bringing in various regions. So not just having club cricket and then a, a national setup. 
but giving players an opportunity to build that career of theirs. And, and no matter where it goes, because I, I still don't think, and, and I retired a long time ago playing as a full member, and I don't think full members do enough for the game. You know, I, I understand they're very busy and it's a need to generate revenue, but there, there's still a lot that could be done. And, and, and even if it's possibly, you know, almost getting a, a tour of retired, recently retired players. I mean, you, whatever they can do. I, I don't know what, what the right thing is. Where you can impart more than just playing a one-day international or an exhibition game, but you can spend time coaching the local coaches, getting the, the local players excited. So, you know, I still think we, we as cricket players, especially from full member countries, I think we've, we've missed the boat slightly with regards to reaching out to associate member countries. And possibly because they, they were considered minnows for so long. I mean, such a derogatory term. You know, you talk about the minnows at the World Cup. I mean, it's for me, growing up in a, in a racist society in South Africa, apartheid, when you're derogatory about somebody standing, um, you know, we, we're still paying the price in South Africa. I mean, there's been political freedom since 1994, but we still see issues of, of racism, racialism abounding in, in South Africa, you know, so... It, and I think that's a lot of what was kind of going on, being deemed as a minnow, certainly went towards that and kind of coloured the, the view of, of full member country, the players especially, as to go to play in Ireland or, you know, in, in the Netherlands or Scotland. This discussion has popped up uh, a little bit in-house uh, with us also. And we talked about, should it be one or the other? And, you know, are we focusing on, on this or that? or And I guess that we came to the conclusion that, of doesn't one benefit the other anyway? So like we, we're trying to focus on, let's get as many people, let's get growth as our, as our central focus and with hope that with growth, we'll be able to direct or redirect the quality of the game. But just to think that we should go in one particular direction, I think we might be cutting ourselves off from the possibilities of creating a little bit more of a brand of cricket here in Sweden, because it's very difficult for us to compare ourselves to Australia or South Africa or England, or as Jonty was saying, rather than sort of create a, what is, what is Swedish cricket? What does that mean to us? And, and how can that be grown in, in the households over here domestically also? Well, this sort of leads into my uh, next question, John T. You talked about how the perception of associate cricket has not been very good historically. You know, looking through your time for South Africa, you you played uh, seven ODIs against Kenya, and your last ODI was actually against them. And and you know there was the knockout trophy in in Bangladesh and Kenya. And so associate cricket has been a thread you know, throughout your time as a full member player. Did your interest in you know, developing the game, and especially in associate countries, was that sort of uh, peaked during your, your playing days or was it something that came after retirement? Nick, you know, to be honest, I think it really came after, after once I'd retired and, and we started coaching at the IPL because when you're based in India for two months, I mean, there's, there's such diversity in 1.3 billion Indians. I mean, they're all of the same origin, but there is incredible diversity. Not to, And they always talk about between states, you know, the way they prepare the food, the kind of food they have. Certain parts of the country are more vegetarian. In the north, it's more non-veg. But the way, you know, I just find that across each state, let alone between states, there's real diversity. And, and, and again, as someone growing up in apartheid era South Africa, where I played against white kids at school with white kids, I only had white friends. And even at the start of my international career, I mean, we were an all-white team until 1999, basically. You know, so so from that perspective, having coached in India, I've made it an absolute mission of mine to borrow a motorbike. I mean, I don't I don't have a motorbike license, 
Um, and in India, it's Royal Enfield. It was kind of a, you know, a bike that was was introduced into the country to help the army because it can go anywhere and do anything. It's a bit like a high car, you know, a high car, it's the best 4x4. Four four you don't need 4x4 four four if it's high, it can go anywhere. But for me, I just went out of my way because as a cricket player, you, you see the airport, you see the ground, and you see the hotel, and that is it. Because, you know, you actually, you just, you want to break from the public almost. So from my perspective, I started having this real affinity with learning and, and, and getting out of my way. I know it was mainly just in India, but I, I really discovered that the more I learn about other people, the more I learn about myself. And I'm still on a real journey of discovery because, as I said, my growing up was, was such a, you know, concentrated, similar-minded focused environment that yeah, I had no idea who I really am as, a, as an individual. So you know, it's, it's been, it's definitely been since I've retired, sadly. And, and yeah, we, when we played Kenya, it wasn't just at World Cups. I mean, Champions Trophies and things like that. So, you know, we, we did get the opportunity to do that. But yeah, it, it's more now that I've been traveling around India and, and not just on cricket. I mean, you know, yoga trips and into Rishikesh and, you know, bathing in the Ganges. <laughs> Um, a lot of Indians get nervous when they see me dunking in the Ganges. <laughs> not too sure if I'm going to in one piece or a couple of pieces. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's been more a part of my journey since I've retired. Well, I know this is uh, mostly about emerging cricket, but I, I'm very interested in the situation in South Africa. And, you know, obviously you mentioned your uh, growing up in apartheid South Africa and, and how that is, is, you know, reverberating throughout history still in, in terms of the, the racial issues. Um, I guess, what's your view on, you know, getting the majority population into cricket and, you know, how to go about that and, and what maybe has gone wrong in the past? You know, Nick, it was a lot of my focus when, when I first stopped working in the IPL in 2017 was my last IPL. And for two years, a large part of my focus was supposed to be in South Africa, but I ended up traveling almost as much around the world anyway. And I didn't get to do as much development and grassroots cricket as I'd hoped in South Africa. I mean, there's still, there's a great deal. And a lot of it comes down to facilities because because obviously the, the previous white-only schools, which are government schools, are now multiracial. And um, there are kids of all races that have access to these great facilities, but still the majority. And, and, and obviously, it, it's a, you know, from Ben's, not concerned, but from Ben's point about having facilities available for people who want to play cricket. You know, in South Africa, there are still millions of kids, hundreds of thousands of your, your next, you know, your best cricket players don't even get a chance to play the game. So I think that for me in South Africa is still happening, even after 26 years of democracy bulk of the population, the youngsters at school still don't have access to facilities or coaching. And that's a, that's a, real, that's a real worry that it's still in, in this, this environment 26 years later after democracy. It's funny because we, we can still learn all these lessons when, when applying them to developing cricket in, in parts of the world where you know, sport is a powerful tool and especially for people who are displaced and living in, in different parts of the world from where they're originally from. Sport is, is a great power and a great connection tool for so many people. Um, you know, the diasporas of certain countries are, are filled in in new ones via, you know, immigration through asylum seeking through just, yeah, general movement. And Sweden will be no different in that regard, I'm, I'm sure. And looking at other parts of Europe where there has been such a, a boom in, in migration and asylum seeking and, and trends like that. 
the, the power of cricket will be quite telling, I think, over the next decade or two, and especially with the immigration trends over, you know, say the last five years. Looking to Sweden, you know, as you said, Ben, it's, it's about trying to connect everyone with the game. But by the same token, you know, sport is, is so powerful in, in bringing people together and, and finding that sense of community. So for you, what, what's the power of, of sport and, and cricket in, in your part of the world now? And, and how do you see it working in, in your favour in terms of building Swedish cricket, perhaps? I think my my journey in particular, if I can relate a little bit to myself here in Sweden, is I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how the club system worked. Um, I literally rolled down to an arena and I was with my partner and she said, hey, this is Ben. He throws a bit of discus. Is it cool if he trains here? And uh, that's where it started. And then I learned or got involved in a huge family environment in, in the, the Swedish club system where everyone was including literally everyone. I developed a social network, a group of friends. Years later, they offered me a job, but they helped me to integrate into Swedish society uh, by not only providing me with a place that I could train through sport, but none of it was justified by whether or not I was good or bad or anything else. It was that I was willing to come down to to a venue and train a little bit and that was it. There was no discussion about, upon outcomes or what I wanted or what they wanted from me. And so that system over here, I believe, is incredibly powerful in helping folks integrate into Sweden as a country. And that means like that you can be coming from any walk of life. All you have is a common interest is the sport. And coming back to what you said. People love to play cricket. If they don't love to, what's this? Like, I remember we were down in Yon Shopping and we had a, a junior boys national camp and there was three ladies walking past with their dogs and they came in and they watched us play for like one and a half hours, constantly asking us about what the rules were and telling us that they didn't understand a thing. And, you know, we explained to them that this is cricket and has played a lot over these countries. And then now they're involved in clubs. So, I mean, it it's works on both sides of the spectrum. You've got people who are, who are super keen on playing high-level cricket, but then you've just got people who like the social setting of being able to come down and, and have a hit every now and then or roll the arm over or whatever you might want to do. But I think that's really the power of the sport on that level. It's It has so much to cater for, or any sport for that matter, on an individual level. And coming back to that again, like how are we developing the humans? And I think this is something that I really want to tap into with our national team also, with our young boys, is creating leaders. And I think, you know, Jonty with his philosophy, not only on life and so forth, his journey and the constant seeking of knowledge is something that we need to reinforce for these boys. It's a rite of passage for them to not feel like they have to forget their heritage or their culture, but they bring that to Sweden and they share it with others. And we can only do that by taking them a little bit, I believe, away from the field and help them develop as men, help the ladies develop as women and embrace their their indifferences. But it's, it's not going to be an easy task, that's for sure. Um, I think I feel like I have a little bit of a diffusing shield because I'm not a cricketer and I don't come from, you know, years of, of cricket experience. But with my own, I guess, credentials, I'm hoping to be able to help pave the way and involving other people like Jonty who have a wealth of knowledge to share with our, with our cricket in Sweden. But I mean, as I said, it's, it's going to be a, a huge task and we really, really need to get our members to buy into it. Ben, you've, you've talked about um, developing humans and that sort of perspective. I'm just looking, you know, thinking about the human side of, of your move. Uh, we know why you went to Sweden. So, um, you know, what, what do you miss most about home as, you know, as 
immigrant and uh you know what's what's your favorite thing about sweden is there's lots of love about sweden um we're quite similar in many ways i think just in the way we we're very outdoorsy uh over here in in sweden it's very much people are out in the nature a lot uh, there's a thing called allemansrätten uh which gives people the right to to um uh to walk or stay on someone's land for one one night you can sleep anywhere you can pick mushrooms on on provided it's not in front of someone's garden but um no one owns the right to put up a fence around somewhere and say you can't come in here so this is called allemansrätten so you can really wander around in nature uh, what we say obergrenzad without any borders so that's quite really quite fascinating um so that's one thing that i love about this country also you know we we don't really have a lot to complain about we're well looked after we pay our taxes and our taxes repay us um but in australia you know i miss of course my family are all, all back there um i miss our taking the piss nature um <laughs> you know i miss i miss uh, a little bit of of being outside in the bush things like that but i mean it's mostly the people i miss it's not so much um any any one particular thing that i like a big old t-bone steak i can get over here also but but um you know i i do i do miss being out in the bush um with with the family and things like that and our and our coastline is pretty pretty special as well and of course the warm it sucks here in winter it, it, i was saying to to jonty you have to embrace the darkness and the cold and just get out amongst it ice skate do whatever you can otherwise you go insane and i think you'll be doing ice baths in uh, in negative 30 anyway i, I have i have it in the back of my mind <laughs> so I, i think it'll be it's kind of nice for us to both kind of live everything or be interested in on in those things as we're kind of new to the whole uh, setting of living over here this will be i think my third or fourth winter so it's really is quite uh amazing being here in the winter even though the darkness does suck a little bit <laughs> well i am a uh, a sucker for um for nordic noir uh tv so the the darker the better the better setting but uh, we don't want this to go into another tim cutler movie or tv show review no the fans love it the fans love that that's that's what they come here for if they got this far into the podcast they must <laughs> they, they've definitely come for my tv chat rather than the olympian and the uh, and the tests look, and look we we've talked about hewing in olympian the commonwealth games it's a common theme for everyone that we talk to the effect on the sport in their country if it was inducted as an olympic sport can you talk a little bit about what it would mean for cricket in sweden if the olympics included the sport from 2028 oh wow um choose what that would mean uh we'd be our resource network would would have of course go bananas and i don't mean that from a financial standpoint i think from from people who would love to represent the country in the olympics uh so we'd have probably uh, you would see a really fast crossover from from different sports of people who would just love to participate or be able to compete in the olympics so our talent pool would probably grow really really fast that would probably be the biggest thing and then also from a, it kind of forces um the step up from us so we have what's called the Swedish Olympic Committee there another that's like the AOC in Australia they would have an active um collaboration with us to try and find the next or the first Swedish um Olympic cricketers and i mean even just saying that sounds crazy <laughs> but um i i think that from Uh, from my standpoint and and having Jonty cl- climbing in for us also it would be an incredible honor to to be on think about that being in an organization 
first Olympics for the game of cricket, Sweden potentially participating in that would be quite bananas and being, you know, primarily run by an Aussie and and a Sapphire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that didn't really answer your question that well, but I think, the, I mean... No, no, that's really interesting with the idea of crossover athletes. Yeah, I think it's just that you would see a much more aggressive recruiting drive, I think, from, from getting a good team to the start line. John T, um, I, I've heard that you almost went to the Olympics a couple of times. Um, what are your thoughts on Olympic cricket? Well, my, yes, I, I was more of a field hockey kind of, I shone more on, on the field hockey than I did on the cricket field early on in my career. Um, but, you know, South Africa, there was at the Commonwealth Games 1998, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't actually go on that tour. I declined the offer to tour. Um, another reason, long story, when, we, when we're meeting again, we, we can discuss that. But the South African team, maybe if the, Austra- maybe if the Australians had won, they, they, cricket might have stuck around a bit longer in the Commonwealth Games. But South Africa won it in 1998. Um, I'm also involved with the Surf Federation of India, which I do remotely. So it doesn't have to be worried I'm be disappearing again for surfing events in India. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, and surfing has become an Olympic sport. You know, so suddenly... You know, even though when you talk about surf in India, everyone goes, what? What are you talking about? Now you start saying, okay, but it's an Olympic sport. Oh, okay, cool. Then they understand that, hold on, there is a process where if that's what you're aiming for, we all now need to start sort of focusing on growing and developing the game or the sport from a a surfing point of view. So I've certainly seen the injection of what happens when a sport becomes an Olympic sport in, in a country like India, where surfing is maybe 50 guys who, who surf, you know, and I know all of them, <laughs> um, but it's, 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 an, it's an, you know, it'd be really, it really would be incredible. And, and, and Ben would know too, from a, having, I suppose, worked, even though he's only, he's fairly new to the job, but having worked with the, the Swedish, you know, the, the sports federation and, and when it, European countries, and I'm sure Australia, South Africa is slightly different where, a lot of our medal winners have had to train in the U.S. in order to get the sort of expertise that they want. So if, if you then kind of have that carrot at the end saying the sport is an Olympic sport and having that excitement amongst kids, and I think it would be amazing for, for the growth of the game. So, you know, cricket's a, it's a game. Shane Warner tweeted something, you know, the second or third most popular sport in, in the globe. So, you know, it, it could justify it quite comfortably to be held and, and, and played at an Olympics because of the numbers of, of people who play and follow the game around the world. But I have seen just the mention of the sport becoming an Olympic sport, what difference it does inject, like I said, with the Surf Federation in India. Oh, yeah. And, the, and likewise with rugby in India and what it's done for there and, and rugby everywhere else. And we've had Matt Featherston talk about the Brazil story and how rugby went from a enthusiastic amateur operation to full-time pros and supported by the Olympic Association there. So, you know, we talked about Italy only last week. They'd be over between 1 and 2 million euro a year uh, guaranteed and, and Brazil would be over half a million. So it's amazing for these countries that support Olympic sports like that, even if their teams are not guaranteed to actually get to the final event. Just that being an Olympic sport is such a huge thing. And then we haven't even talked about countries like the USA and China and Russia that put so much into the Olympics, into medals as well and what that could mean. So look, you've only just reaffirmed there. Ben, probably more in you, in you talk about how you feel about but how important it would be there as well and the, and the support it would get. So 
needless to say, I think for anyone listening to this podcast, we talk about it a lot and it's a it's really a no-brainer for the game. And it's only been a couple of blockers at the top of the table that uh, didn't want it either messing up their summer schedule or giving away the control over their national team to the Olympic Committee, of which they, uh, they didn't get on with. But um, we can only hope. I just have this image of... <laughs> you know, 16 Nepali kids in the Olympic Village and Ben Harradine giving them tips on, on how to make the most of the uh, Olympic Village atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> he has a meat pie in one hand. <laughs> Cheeseburger in the other. <laughs> some, things, some things are better left unsaid, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've heard about those Olympic Villages. <laughs> oh, dear, there's some good stories to be, to be told on. <laughs> yeah, there's some good stories not to be told on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a key question that we ask every single guest on the show and i'll give you a little bit of time to, to think about this we don't want to put you on the spot it seems to put everyone on the spot uh if you could change one law in cricket what would it be first in best dressed here i reckon Bez, uh, you know for me as and a focus has been obviously as a, as a fielding coach for the last 11 years especially at an IPL tournament in t20 cricket um, what drives me crazy, because I'm obviously trying to get direct hits and runouts. When you see a bowler, the ball get hit into the covers, and the bowler is shouting at the fielder, don't throw, don't throw, because the overthrow, it could have been a, you know, a dot ball, and he's, he's only got four overs to bowl, and every dot ball is very valuable. And he's screaming at the fielder, don't throw, and I'm sitting on the field, on the side of the field, shouting the stumps, hit the stumps. So I would love to see that overthrow not go to the bowler's name. So then everybody would actually... Because then, then the guys would throw, you know, because the bowler's screaming at, especially in, in circles like India, where you've got a senior Indian bowler and a young player gets the ball, there is no chance he's going to upset the senior bloke. So he, <laughs> he doesn't throw. Whereas my focus is on the guys doing, the, it's like a hockey or football player, you need to do off, or off the ball work, you know. So that's, that's what we're looking for as, as a fielding unit. It's the intangible. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's that willingness to do unrewarded work. So if you're on the bat, you should be coming off, you should be packing up. If you get the ball, you're positioned to throw, throw the stumps down. It doesn't go against the bowler because it wasn't wasn't scored off his bowling. Uh, funny enough, before we get to Ben, my 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 answer to this, you know, I know I was like I was like I don't want to talk over the guy with you know talk over the Test cricketer, but my <laughs> idea is actually if a fielder hits the stumps, there can't be can't be any overthrows. Like if it hits the batter, it, sh- it should be dead anyway. That that like, and that's not just because England won a World Cup. But don't get me started. Yeah, but that that would that that would be my one in terms of don't throw, don't throw, because there should be a guy backing up. But as you would know these days, there should be two guys backing up on either side as well. But if he hits the stumps, I think no, that 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 should render overthrows. But if you throw it and miss it, anyway, no, I like it. That's a uh, it's good good to see that John D Rhodes thinks exactly like me that there's the about the overthrow law. So that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> you put that put that in the snippet for the uh, for the promo for sure <laughs> <laughs> all right mr harradine you've had long enough to think about this i'm thinking junior cricket here because that's where our focus is um at the moment um and i'm thinking that because the governing body is able to determine the dimensions of the stumps i think that we should bring in uh the wheelie bin dimensions oh you are such a bowler <laughs> That's what you miss most from home, isn't it? This sounds like a bowler. This sounds like this sounds like a guy who's learning to bowl late in life, who bowls like Malinga because that's how he knows how to let go of it, and he need, needs a bigger target. 
That's pretty much it, actually. That's a very, very good. Well, when I was back home in Australia recently, I played I played a couple of T10s with my brother and his and his team for a, a fundraiser. And she, he's like, "Geez, you have no trouble slinging it, but just controlling where where it's going is a bit of a problem." <laughs> well, it's worked for a couple of people. I think a lot of people have made their uh, made their career on a on a slinger, both uh, <laughs> both with long blonde locks and 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 uh, and dyed blonde locks. So uh, yeah, like. It, I think you should be working on that. You never know. You could be in the Olympics of Sweden by the time that it happens. You'll be, if you don't have a passport already, you'll be qualified. I'll be good for six balls anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking though, Tim, a wheelie bin, that's like a normal size set of stumps to you though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, why are you making fun of my size, Nick? Like, <laughs> well, what an unbelievable discussion. Uh, it's been a huge pleasure of ours, Tim, Myself and Nick, uh, fantastic to have you guys on. Ben Harradine and John T. Rhodes, uh, good luck with everything going on in Sweden. First of all, to John T., good luck uh, in the IPL with Kings 11. Punjab will be uh, watching with a keen interest there with an emerging cricket connection as well. Uh, but Ben and John T., it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the show. Pleasure, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, guys. A huge thank you again to John T. Rhodes and Ben Harradine for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast and good luck to the Swedish Cricket Federation. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops. Pass the pod around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. You'll get access to extended cuts to a number of our podcasts and you have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.